Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlecht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. We click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slam and Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for $1 a month for six months. We're about in the playoffs, everybody. Time to get on the train. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night with our first game of the week as Raptors fans. A matchup against the always reeling Lakers. Should be an easy win for the Raps, right? Well, rookie oh, of the no. year. Yeah, I know. Well, rookie of the year candidate Scotty Barnes did show up in a big way, scoring a season high 31 points, but it was the Lakers and a player named Russell Westbrook who went home with the win after Russ hit a game tying three with time expiring and regulation to force overtime, where the Lakers closed it out. The Lakers look decent this week. They also beat Cleveland and lost a close game to Philly. Does the season start now, Andrew? <laughs> season starts now. We gotta, we gotta at least get a home game for the play-in. Like that's what they're playing for right now. On Saturday, the Charlotte Hornets, a team we haven't talked about in a while, had a nice win at home against the Red Hot Mavs, 129 to 108. Since the All-Star break, the Hornets have the fourth-ranked offense in the league. And that Dallas win came as part of a six-game winning streak that eventually ended at the hands of R.J. Barrett and the New York Knicks. During this stretch for the Hornets, LaMelo is averaging 26-7 on 50-45-93 splits. Charlotte is currently in the ninth spot, one game behind the Nets and one game ahead of the Hawks. On Sunday, it was the Celtics dominating another good team as they beat the Nuggets 124-104. The win over Denver was preceded by a 22-point win over the Warriors and was followed up by a 28-point win over the Jazz. Boston's week was capped off when Seth Partnow, breaking down the confusing Defensive Player of the Year race on The Athletic, came to the conclusion that as of now, he'd pick Boston guard Marcus Smart for the award. Just a few weeks ago, Marcus Smart was quote retweeting a Seth Partnow tweet, sarcastically making the point that guards are never chosen for the award, and now we're here spoken into existence on monday the dallas mavericks beat the wolves in a matchup with playoff seeding implications the two-point win for the mavs ended a four-game winning streak for the wolves who had also won 10 of their last 11 coming into that game for the mavs one of the biggest stories has been the play of spencer dinwiddie multiple game winners averaging 20 points per game post all-star break while shooting 42 percent from three the Mavs are now tied with the Utah Jazz at 45 and 28 with home court in the playoffs at stake. And guess who's playing this Sunday afternoon? Dallas and Utah. NBA TV, be there. It really is great. I really cannot wait. For that. It's great. We're actually getting like a ton of these types of matchups. 
yeah. down this home yeah, stretch. So fun. Um, on Tuesday, Milwaukee got Giannis back after a one-game absence and dominated the Chicago Bulls 126-98. to Milwaukee seems to be getting healthy at the right time. The win against Chicago was Brooke Lopez's fourth game back since returning from his back injury and Pat Connaughton's second game back since he broke his hand. For the Bulls, it was unfortunately a continuation of last week's dunk or junk. After losses this week to Phoenix and Milwaukee, the Bulls are now a combined 0-16 against the top three seeds in both conferences. On Wednesday, Golden State bounced back from an ugly loss to the Magic by beating the number one seed in the East, the Miami Heat, on the road 118-104. It was the Warriors' first win since losing Steph to a foot sprain. For the Heat, well, it was an eventful night. During a timeout, Jimmy Butler and Udonis Haslam began arguing with each other on the bench. The argument escalated to include multiple teammates holding them back from each other, while Heat coach Eric Spolstra also seemed ready to fight. Now, from the outside, it looked bad. But the cool thing for the Heat is that when you build your franchise's entire identity around capital H Heat, capital C culture, everything is good and an obvious sign <laughs> of that amazing culture. Players being held back from fighting each other on the bench, hey, that, that's Heat culture. I mean, that, that's awesome. I love the intensity. Star player possibly wanting to fight the coach during the game? Uh, why would you not want that on your team? That's just Heat culture. You may not get it, it may not be for you, but that is what real basketball looks like. And finally, on Thursday, Chris Paul is back. The Suns ended up going 11-4 in the 15 games CP3 missed, and on Thursday, it was a marquee matchup against the Nuggets in Denver. CP3 didn't miss a beat in his return, but the real story was Devin Booker, who arguably had one of the best games of his career, going for 49-4 with 10 assists, 3 steals, and a block, completely dominating Denver on the offensive end. Has a new MVP challenger emerged, Andrew? As several have pointed out, including StatMuse, the list of players to average 25-5-5 on a team that won 80% or more of their games is a list of only nine players, eight of whom won the MVP during the season they accomplished that feat. As for team success, if Phoenix ends with an 80% winning percentage, which requires them to win six of their final eight games, they would become only the ninth team in the last two decades to reach that milestone. Half of those other eight teams went on to win the championship. What a week it was, Andrew. Ooh, feels likely too, right? With the Suns, I'd, I'd honestly be a little surprised if they didn't get there. It would, it would, it would require resting. You know, yeah, it in probably my would. And they, they got some good games coming up, though. I think uh, on Sunday they play the Philly. I mean, how about that? It's a great game. And then uh, yeah, I just I would just I would just count that as a Suns win. It just <laughs> feels like every game is a Suns win at this point. I mean, it pretty much is the the way that they handled. And we talked about this like right when it started, kind of predicting yeah. like how how this would go for the Suns. Like it went even better than expected, and they had even more um, issues during it than I was anticipating because like you yeah. had Devin Booker out with health and safety protocols. I think Cam Johnson missed a few games, and they still were so good. DeAndre Ayton was incredible. Yeah. yeah, the Suns are awesome. Alex, so far in 2022, we have nine 40-plus point games since March 14th. That's just 11 days. We are in the strange days of the NBA. Lots of weird stuff is happening. Bad teams are tanking for draft position. Good teams are tanking for playoff position. And with that comes a lot of weird results. So, Al, I went all the way back to 2012 to look for what I'm calling weirdo games. A weirdo game is when an unexpected player scores 30 points or more in a game. 
I'm here to prepare the world for weirdo season. <laughs> Let's dive in. Can uh, I, I know you're doing it by points, but I think you should give an honorable mention to that Ramon session game, sessions game for when he had like 20 <laughs> to assist or something. Remember that one at yeah, the end that of the was, season? That was there. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> All these weirdo games that happen. So I, I've got, I'm picked one weirdo game for each year from that, from 2021 to 20 to 2012. In 2021, there were 31 40 plus point games in the last month of the season, which is an insane amount. Two 50 balls and one 60 point game from Jason Tatum, where he had 68 and five. My weirdo game of 2021, Kevin Porter Jr. had 55 and 11 on April 29th last year. Wasn't that a triple double? Uh, He had the 50 point triple double? He didn't have a triple double. He had five rebounds and 11 assists, but just an absolutely insane performance. Honorable mention to Justin James and Jalen Harris, who both had 31 points on what I believe was the last game of the season for the Kings and for the Raptors. Uh, Those are the kind of games that we're looking for. 2020, the bubble year. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, those are the type of games where, like, you know, because obviously Houston was bad last year, but, like, when one of your players on a tanking team has a game like Mm -hmm. that, you just have – you completely buy into the player – you like completely oh, ignore yeah. the fact that it's the end of the season, that you're tanking, that the other team's maybe not even trying, and you're just like, this is the future. Like We have a superstar <laughs> on our hands. Like Poku, like, I mean, you might bring up Poku from last year. <laughs> Poku had like a 30-point game in, in the last game of the season, and you, 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 get, like, you get drunk off of it. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. And there's a few of those in here where there's players that you're like, oh, this guy has a ton of potential. And then it was just a complete flash in the pan. Uh, the bubble year, it was only two weeks of the regular season. There were 11 40-point games in two weeks, uh, two 50-point games, one from Damian Lillard, one from TJ Warren, and a 61-point game from Damian Lillard, who had 61, 5, and 8. Now, remember that the bad teams didn't go to the bubble, which leads to a smaller chance for a weirdo game. But we did have one weirdo game in those two weeks, and it went to Frank Jackson, who saved the day. He had 31, 2, and 5 for the Pelicans. Well, I do not remember that at all. <laughs> 2019. There were 24 games in the last month of the season of 40-plus, seven games of 50-plus, Five of those seven came in a loss, actually. And then one 60-point game, which went to James Harden. Uh, the Weirdo Game Award. Everyone remembers Jamal Crawford, who went for 50. But no, not that for me. Grayson Allen, on the last day of the season, 40 points, seven <laughs> rebounds, four assists in the Weirdo Game of 2019. Wow, another one. Do not remember that at all. I'm sure. Yeah. So that would have been with Memphis? Utah. Oh, that was with Utah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You forget Grayson Allen's played for three teams. Yeah. Uh, 2018. There were 15, only 15 games. So just these numbers are going to start fluctuating a little bit more. But in 2018, only 15 games of 40 plus. There was one 50 point game from Carl Towns who had 56, 15, and four. No 60 point games that year. The weirdo game of the last part of the last month of this season, Trey Burke had 42 points and 12 assists when he was a Nick <laughs> in a loss. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, 2017, 
There were 25 games of 40 plus, four 50 point games. This was when Devin Booker went off for 78 and six. Just an unbelievable game from Devin Booker. Now, what's weird, and so I I didn't find like a really great weirdo game, but I did find this stat, which I thought was weird in itself. He scored 70 points on 40 shots. He was 21 of 40 from the field. And what's crazy is that just five days later, Russell Westbrook went exactly 21 of 40 from the field as well. Only Russ finished with 57. And that's because Devin Booker uh, went to the free throw line 26 times. In the 70-point <laughs> game? 26, yeah, in the 70-point game. He took, took 26 free throws to Westbrook's 11. And actually, what I found strange, too, is that Westbrook took more threes and made more threes than Devin Booker in their two games, well, that was which a crazy, I just thought was strange. So that 70-point game was on the same date as last night's or Thursday night's game yeah. where he scored 49. Yeah, yeah. And similar in that game, like Booker only hit two threes. He got to the line yeah, like he was 17 four of 11. times. And, yeah. Can you imagine? Like, there's not many players that are going to get 70, period. Like, it just doesn't happen. But to only take 11 threes yeah. and to get to 70 just feels crazy. 2016, there were only 10 games of 40-plus points in the last month of the season. Uh, 160 ball from Kobe Bryant in his last game on April 13th, 2016. Kobe Bryant took 50 shots in that game <laughs> in his very last game. Just amazing. Uh, the weirdo game, he didn't get 40 but Shabazz Muhammad scored 35 points on 12 shots. He took more wow. free throws than shots. He took 17 free throws. This was on April 5th, 2016. <laughs> Just crazy. Uh, and then Jordan McRae scored 36 points on 29 shots for the Cavs in the last game of their season. Almost done. 2015. There were only 14 games of 40-plus. Three 50-point games. The weirdo game of 2015 goes to Trevor Booker, who had 36 points on 15 shots. He was 12 of 15 from the field, 4 of 4 from 3, and 8 of 14 from the free throw line. Trevor Booker is probably one of those guys that Utah was like, oh, man, like this is going to be like our, our new Paul Millsap. Like, look, look at what this guy can do. Yeah. And it was just a, uh, a another flash in the pan. Uh, 2014, there are only 12 games of 40-plus in the last month. 250 balls, including what is is definitely a weirdo game. And Corey Brewer, who had 51 points, two rebounds, one assist, and six steals. Another weirdo honorable mention, Nick Young had two 40-point games in the last month of that season for the Lakers. But I'm giving the weirdo game of 2014 to Terrence Jones, who had 33 points, oh, like seven rebounds, and two assists for the Rockets against the Lakers on April 8th, 2014. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, listening to these names, because, I mean, it would be kind of fun if we could predict who is going to, like, randomly score 40 points over these next couple games. Yeah. It's not. It's probably not going to be, like, a normal name. Like, it's not going to be a guy that where it, like, makes sense. Because all of these names yeah. you're reading, you know, it, it, it almost feels like it needs to be, like, some random bench guy on one of the tanking teams who's going to suddenly yeah. drop 40 in a game. Yeah, that's what a lot of these come from. It's just, And you scroll through and you see lots of like Duran and Jason Tatum, like all these big names, right. but then just like one name will just pop up. Uh, 
just like this one in 2013 there were eight games of 40 plus only eight games we've already surpassed that eight the eight game total in the last two weeks uh for this season uh there was one 50 ball from Mello, who scored 50 in Miami when he was a Nick. The weirdo game of 2013 goes to Allen Anderson, who had 35 points, six rebounds, and three assists. Can you tell me who Allen Anderson played for? Uh, did he play for the Nets? <laughs> Allen, he did play for the Nets. Um, it's such a weird, it's just, just crazy. And then 2012, this is our last weirdo year. 11 games of 40 plus, 150 ball from Kevin Love, who scored 50 against Oklahoma City. He had 51 and 14 actually on March 23rd. Weirdo game of 2012 goes to Marcus Thornton, who had 36, 4 and 4 with five steals. And then honorable mention to Byron, don't call me BJ Mullins, who scored 31 points, 14 boards, and two assists for the Bobcats. So, friends. Keep your eyes and ears out for some weirdo games. It's weirdo season, and the tanking and jockeying are in full swing. So if, if you see a weirdo game, let me know. Keep your eyes out. I'm thinking I'm, – I'm going through some of these bad teams, and I want to pick a guy out. Wouldn't it be fun if we got a 40-point Lance Stevenson game in these, in these <laughs> final couple of games? I can see that, that happening. Is, that is very possible. Yeah. I give – if it's 30-plus – See, we almost had a, a weirdo Teo Maladone game the other night in Oklahoma City. He had 25. If he had had five more points, I would have I would have definitely called it a weirdo game. But you got to have 30 plus for it to be a true weirdo game. Anybody can get 25, but give me give me 30 plus, and it's definitely a weirdo game. Well, um, Andrew, it's time to dive back into dunk or junk. Dunk or junk. Dunk or junk. It is the third installment of Dunker Junk, the weekly segment where I investigate one of the arguments against a playoff team, and we decide whether that argument is a slam dunk or whether it is junk. Uh, the goal being to help us sift through what is looking like one of the most wide-open playoffs in recent memory, which is something we like to keep saying, even though the Suns are putting up one of the more dominant regular seasons in recent memory. But we need the drama, so let's ignore the Suns' dominance a little longer so we can keep more fans engaged. And for this week's Dunk or Junk... I am looking at the Utah Jazz. The argument, the Jazz have a fatal flaw, Andrew, and it is defending small ball, and therefore they can be completely dismissed as a contender. You've heard about this, Andrew, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah, you can can scheme Rudy Gobert out of the game. This is probably the most well-known X's and O's weakness for any team in the league. Like It's one of those rare X's and O's topics that goes mainstream where somehow yeah. every NBA fan is now well-versed in why the Jazz can't win in the playoffs. In fact, me even attempting to debunk this argument is, I, I would say, brave and courageous, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? <laughs> would, you, would you agree, Andrew? I would, so. I would definitely say so. I, I don't want to do this. I, I, I don't I, I don't. I feel like uh, just even talking about the Jazz or their weaknesses is just like poking the bear of the uh, Utah Jazz fan base. Well, we'll see what they think about my argument. So uh, we're going to find out if this is a slam dunk or junk. So let's find out. Let's start with the fact that this argument against the Jazz is largely based on a single playoff series against the Clippers. I think that's an important place to start because while the Jazz obviously were not wildly successful in the playoffs prior to last year, it wasn't because they couldn't defend against small ball. It was other stuff. So we're talking about one series, one very memorable series that we cannot get out of our brains, 
but one series nonetheless. And that series was pretty unique against a pretty unique opponent. First, you had significant injuries to key players on both sides. Kawhi for the Clippers, injured in Game 4. For the Jazz, Mike Conley, who was an all-star last season, played 26 total minutes in that series. Donovan Mitchell re-injured a bad ankle in Game 3. Now, in the first three games of that series, Mitchell averaged 37 points per game on 47% from three. In the final three games, 32 points per game on 43% from three. Honestly, not a crazy difference. What was different, though, and what could be attributed to him hurting his ankle was his effectiveness on drives. In the first three games, he shot 55% on attempts from drives. Final three games, 22%. Mitchell was a fundamentally different player in the back half Mm. of that series. But I know what you're thinking. You've heard the injury argument before. You don't care. Everyone has injuries. Also, you already hate the Jazz. So if you're going to give a team the benefit of the doubt on injuries, it certainly wouldn't be the Jazz. Fine. (laughs) But... Can we at least acknowledge that last year's Clippers team was uniquely set up to execute the small ball plan that killed the Jazz? In addition to having multiple capable ball handlers who could drive and kick, they were also an historically great three-point shooting team. Only three teams in NBA history shot better from three over an entire season than last year's Clippers, and none of those teams took as many threes per game. And in that series against the Jazz, the Clippers shot 43% from three, which wasn't an aberration. They shot 41% during the regular season. The point being that just because last year's Clippers executed small ball so well against Utah doesn't necessarily mean that every other team in the NBA is going to have the same success. That memorable mm-hmm. series that is seared into our brains combined an historic three-point shooting team with key injuries to Utah's two main perimeter players. If this inability to guard small ball is as fatal of a flaw as it seems when it's discussed, it should be something most teams can exploit. So, what has happened this season when teams have gone small against the Jazz? And before we answer that, I just wanted to say that I didn't actually want to do this topic this week because I didn't think there was a compelling case. <laughs> you actually texted me with a different topic, and I was like, well, have you thought about the jazz? And you were like, ah. I, yes, I did. I texted Andrew. I said, I can't do this. I'm going to do another 10 minutes on Joe Folks. I didn't think there was a compelling case, Andrew, until I read a great article that I will tweet out when we release the pod by Dan Clayton at Salt City Hoops examining the small ball case against Utah. Dan provided the ammo I was desperately looking for because one of the things Dan did in that article was go through all the small ball lineups Utah has faced this season. Because like I said, if this is truly a fatal flaw, a lot of teams should be able to exploit it. But that's not really what Dan found. Were there small ball lineups that have done well against the Jazz this season? Sure. But there were also plenty that the Jazz have played well against or were relatively neutral against. It was actually a pretty even split across the board and wasn't necessarily based on quality of opponent either. So it might be a weakness, but we can also acknowledge that not every team is going to be able to successfully exploit that weakness. So now, as Dan does in his article, let's look at the upcoming playoffs. Who are the teams in the West that are best equipped to repeat the Clippers' small ball success against the Jazz? Golden State seems like an obvious choice with their history of small ball. The Grizzlies with Jaron Jackson Jr., might be able to have some success, even though they are a much worse three-point shooting team than those Clippers. Those are probably two of the biggest small ball threats to Utah, and Utah is unlikely to see either unless they made the conference finals, which would be incredible success for the Jazz. So let's look Mm -hmm. at the second round. It'd likely be the Suns, who have DeAndre Ayton. 
I am not going to be picking the Jazz against Phoenix in a second-round series, but I also feel no. good saying that if the Jazz lost to the Suns in the second round, it's probably not going to be because of some inability to guard small ball. Which brings us to the first round. The two most likely opponents are Denver and Dallas. Denver has Jokic, and similar to Phoenix, if they beat the Jazz, it's probably going to be unrelated to small ball. Which brings us to Dallas, the current opponent mm -hmm. in the 4-5 matchup and a team that has the same record as Utah as of Friday morning. Dallas is a really interesting case. Now, the good news for Jazz fans is that Dallas is not the three-point shooting team that L.A. was last year. Dallas is 24th in the league in three-point percentage at 34.3% and have only been slightly better since their hot run started back in January. The Jazz also beat Dallas in Utah in late February. The potentially bad news is that while Dallas did trade Porzingis, a small ball five, they still have Maxi Kleba, who they play as a small ball five and who has had some recent success against the Jazz in that role. In the March 7th win over the Jazz, the two main small ball units with Kleba played 16 minutes total and outscored the Jazz by 16 points in those 16 minutes. Now that sounds bad for the Jazz. And, and listen, it's only one game, but it's not great. I do think it's worth pointing out, though, when you look at the advanced numbers for those Mavs small ball lineups, they didn't necessarily succeed because Utah's defense suddenly collapsed under the pressure of Dallas' small ball. It was actually the Jazz's offense that shut down against those small ball lineups in that game. And remember, the argument is that Utah can't guard small ball based on one series against the Clippers where Utah's defense collapsed while their offense continued to score at an astronomical rate. The point being, maybe the Jazz do flame out again in the playoffs, and you are welcome to believe that. But if the Jazz do lose, it's likely to occur for some reason completely unrelated to the fact that they couldn't defend an historic three-point shooting small ball team in June 2021. Utah is fully capable of losing for a bunch of different reasons, as they have in playoffs yeah. past. Their offense might struggle, as it did against the Mavs small ball lineups in that recent matchup. Maybe Mike Conley never breaks out of his post all-star slump where he currently has a 48% true shooting percentage. Maybe Utah shooters go cold. Maybe they just face a better team. We don't have to hold on to that Clippers series and keep bringing it up every time someone wants us to take the Jazz seriously like it's a get-out-of-talking-about-the-Jazz-free card. What happened in that Clippers series probably had as much to do with the specifics of that series as it did with some fatal flaw of the Jazz's defense as their play against other small ball units this year has shown. So general doubting of the Jazz in the playoffs? Slam dunk. Doubt away. <laughs> but basing your entire <laughs> argument against their contender status around their supposed inability to defend small ball lineups? I don't know. Plus, by focusing so much on that weird Clippers series, you might miss some of the obvious reasons why the league's best offense, which is paired with a top 10 defense, might outperform our expectations come playoff time. So, Andrew... Is Utah's inability to fend small ball lineups a fatal flaw and why they should not be considered contenders? Is that a dunk or junk? So if it's junk, I, I don't believe that's the only fatal flaw. Is that what I'm is that it? Yes. Yes. That is okay, great. I think it's junk. I, I do think it's I do think that it's junk in that I, I'm more afraid of their perimeter defenders not being up to snuff, especially against the way that the Mavs have played and the amount of, of guys that can attack off the dribble. Well, that's, that's what's scary is because, you know, I, I agree with the idea that like the real threats are, would probably be like golden state and Memphis in terms of exploiting this specific weakness. But you look at Dallas yeah. with like Dinwiddie yeah. Brunson, Luca, 
kicking out to yeah. like Kleba, Bullock. Like Kleba was a 40% three-point shooter last year. He's only at 33% this yeah. year. But if he is sh- if he shoots well in a series against Utah and they run that small ball unit, that kind of sounds about as close to that Clippers team as you could get, which is what is kind of scary. Yeah. But as I mentioned, like – it might not be because just because they can't defend it. Like they might have struggles scoring against it. Like it's not. There were things about that Clippers series that were kind of unique to that series, and so yeah, I don't think it will play out in the same way. Even though Dallas does seem like a team who could potentially mirror that. Yeah, and there and there are significant cracks in the foundation of what the Jazz have going on. That's like no secret you know, uh, around the league and you just wonder, and this is the type of this, this playoff run is actually quite important to them because if they can get it together and make a conference conference finals run, which is not out of the realm of possibility, or if they can at least like do really well in round two, cause they're going to, they'll face um, the Suns in round two. If they can like take them to six or seven games, maybe they can feel better about the team and maybe add a piece or two and, and try to keep moving forward. But if they go out in round one against the Mavs, who boy, I'd be very, I would not be excited to be a jazz fan. And there might be some players that aren't excited to be on the jazz anymore. And Andrew, don't forget uh, my choice for turnaround team, which does require the team winning a first round series was the Dallas Mavericks. So I have, I have, uh, <sighs> Hey, both of our teams are looking pretty good. Both of our turnaround teams are looking pretty good heading into the playoffs. We got Boston and the Mavs. Oh, yeah. Boston feels like a lock to win a first round series. I mean, maybe they don't, but they, they're like they feel like one of the strongest choices in the first round right now. Yeah, 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 they do. Uh, another strong choice is the Toronto Raptors. We're going to talk about them right after this quick break. All right, Andrew, it is time once again for the Wheel of Fandom segment where each week we spin a digital wheel. It lands on a random NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. Last week we got America's team. This week it was Canada's team, the Toronto Raptors. The Raps had an up-and-down week, going 2-2 two and two with losses to the Lakers and Philly, but got wins against Chicago and Cleveland. Toronto is currently 41-32, and 32, tied with Cleveland, but currently in the seventh spot because Cleveland owns the tiebreaker. Andrew, if our favorite team this week is the Raptors, who is our guest? We've got Katie Heindel, who's co-host of the Editions and Dimes podcast, a writer at a bunch of places, including her own wonderful Substack, basketballfeelings.com. Katie, how's it going? It's going really well, guys. Thank you for having me. It has yeah. been a roller coaster week. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's <laughs> that's kind of the existence of the Raptors right now, is just roller coaster. Like you just Going, you're going to lose to the Pistons, and then you're going to beat good teams. That's just the way that it goes. Being a Raptors fan now and forever, I'd say, I mean, I won't say forever. I won't cast into the future, but certainly yeah. like now and historically, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with Scotty Barnes. He was a somewhat controversial pick initially, but Scotty has been immediately productive this season. Even though he's been productive from the jump, what are some of the areas that you'd like to see him improve over the course of the rest of his rookie season? I got to add um, as a caveat that everything Scotty has done this season uh, has been like 
past any of the expectations I had just because yeah. I think he's shown such like fulsome progress, you know, in areas that I don't really think rookies are usually asked or like kind of tasked to do, you know, like just in terms of everything from uh, his offensive capabilities to like his defensive, like fitting in, especially to some of Nick Nurse's uh, more complicated schemes. I think just like his, the patience he's shown in abundance and the responsibility that has fallen on him um, pretty pretty early in his career, I'd say, and yeah. all of which he's handled really well with a really incredible balance. Um, this is only because it still confuses me sometimes to watch this happen, though it doesn't really seem to body bother Scotty Barnes at all. Um, but his handle, because he's so long, he dribbles the ball about like... <laughs> I don't know. It feels like six feet out from his body. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it never like, it's not like he he's easy pickings, you know, like he's not really getting it nabbed from him that often. Um, but maybe, maybe a closer handle just for my own like uh, anxieties. <laughs> <laughs> that actually kind of leads into my next question because I'm kind of interested in what you think about Scotty as a long-term point guard option for Toronto because coming into the draft he was considered one of the best passers in his draft class do you feel like Toronto is developing him for that kind of role long term I think so I mean I think one um he did play that role like you know he had he did play that in high school and I think a little bit in college so I think the Raptors were really aware of that and granted the the Masai Web uh, Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster's like uh plans just seemed to be Every guy who's six nine and really long should learn how to play every position and be yeah. as fluid <laughs> and seamless as possible, so they can just ultimately be uh, disruptors to everyone. So yes, I think that does and did uh, was a major reason as to why he was drafted by the team, and I I'm really happy to see them kind of leaning into that more. I know there was there's been some concern with the fan base that maybe he's not getting enough. Like he's not getting enough shots up. But again, I feel like as part of his development this season, they just want him to play every possible role that he can play, mm -hmm. right? Like it's almost like a job. I feel like it's like a job shadowing experience. It's like today you're going to go over to this department. Right, yeah. <laughs> today yeah. you're going to be in accounting. Now you're going to be an admin. But like with Scotty Barnes, that's like you'll be a center today. Tomorrow you'll be the point guard. But I feel, again, it's it's all towards this really like fulsome uh, way that the team wants to develop him. So I think he could do it. Uh, it will go back to, again to what I said, maybe just keep the ball a little closer. But you know what? If you want to dribble it like way out here, be my guest. You seem pretty <laughs> confident. <laughs> Scotty Barnes. <laughs> uh, we got to see Scotty go head to head with Evan Mobley this week. Uh, you probably heard various arguments made by Raptors fans for Scotty over Mobley for Rookie of the Year. What is your go-to argument for Scotty Barnes? Because we might have listeners out there who are on the fence or, or just think that it's Mobley outright. But what do you think? Why do you think he deserves Rookie of the Year over Mobley or Cade or anybody else? I mean, I think I like if I haven't been hammering on it hard enough already in our brief chat, I think it is just because of the level and kind of depth of experience the Raptors have asked Scotty Barnes to take on. And this is not a knock against Mobley, um, who is just like shown what an offensive threat he is and so smart, you know, and like yeah. so capable so early on, I think. But again, I think Scotty Barnes is just, 
he's he's been not just able to sort of seamlessly fit where the team needs him also because you look at the Raptors being knocked down by injury like all throughout this season really like this I'd say is the first stretch knockwood where everybody is relatively healthy um and he's been able to just fit where Nick Nurse needs him to and more than that just like if he takes a knock I've noticed it takes maybe like two games, three games sometimes for him to not even fall back on those same mistakes that I think rookies tend to, you know, like he's really been able to shed any bad habits or kind of nip them in the bud um, when needed. And I, 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 there's just something about, I think the lack of pressure that the Raptors are in their situation, right? Like they didn't need Scotty Barnes to come in and be like their number one kind of like savior guy. He, He has like room to grow, um, and room to like fit fit into the roles that I think the team still doesn't really know what they want him to be in the future. You know, like we talked about, is that a point guard? Is that going to be more of like a four or five? Like, don't really know yet. And he's got he's got a lot of space there. Um, well, he still has a lot of pressure on him. I think he's just been able to like seamlessly flow, you know, through the pressures. And I I mean, now I'm getting it's hard to talk about Scotty Barnes and just like. <laughs> land on one thing because he's just been so many yeah. things to the franchise already this season. And again, as I said before, every everywhere that you kind of expect him to do well, he will just like burst through all your expectations. So, I mean, when you look around the rookie pool, like it's, it's tough, like it's tough because there's such a wealth of talented first year players this season. But I think, you know, in terms of all of them, Scotty Barnes really just has the versatility to be this kind of like future star um, NBA player in the sense of like a real modern player, you know, like he's, I think out of all of them shown the most talent for that. So shifting now to Siakam, who had a weird season in Tampa. Now he's back better mm-hmm. than ever. 22 and eight, 22, eight and five, all NBA candidate turning 28, uh, next week. Uh, happy birthday. When you think about the rap's future, has Siakam played well enough this season where you now think of him as like a number one guy for this team going forward. In other words, like how big has his leap been this season? I think it's been big because for the most part, he's had to get back to a point where he's actually playing like himself again. And when I say that, I feel like, you know, he was a bit of a shadow to that last season in Tampa. I think even the season before in the bubble. Um, And now what was really lacking, I think was some confidence and potentially like a maturation in the role of what he needed to be. But I think, um, and I don't want this to sound like a knock against him because the question is always like, is he the number one guy? Can he be the number one guy for Toronto? But I don't think that's ever really what the Raptors, that's never how he fit into the team because this was never a team that was constructed, even when Kawhi was briefly on the team, was never constructed to have a number one guy because they never really attracted the number one guy, mm-hmm. right? It was everything had to be spread out, um, a lot of cooperation on both ends of the floor. Um, so I think Pascal has gotten more comfortable realizing perhaps that's not him, but he can really flourish and lead in other ways. But I, when I say it's not him, it doesn't mean that it's anybody else. Right. I really don't think <laughs> the Raptors like have that. So um Yes, I think the team always sort of believed in him, like even when he was getting really knocked down by the fans in that Tampa season, you know, you never heard Nick Nurse or Asai Ujiri or anyone else kind of, I don't know, you never really even heard them 
voice that much of their disappointment in him. I think there was a sense that they knew he was really just going through it. Um, but he's playing with so much more ease and just kind of joy generally, I'd say this season. Uh, and I think that's really going to, I think when you look at him as, as well as Scotty Barnes in tandem, you get a clear picture of what it was Masai was thinking when he was crafting this kind of next gen post Kyle Lowry Raptors. So yeah. Siakam's leap. Siakam is a player that kind of hits these plateaus and I think like rides on them for a little bit in terms of his development. Um, I think the last couple seasons were those sort of plateaus and it's hard to track players like that because it's not like they're regressing, but they're not really progressing that much. Um, but now he is again. So that if this is a progression year and it stays steady, that's great. If he hits another plateau, it kind of doesn't matter. He's like looking like one of the best players, certainly in the East, I'd say like definitely consistently perhaps throughout the entire league at least in these last month and a half so i think he looks as good as he ever has and with siakam i just feel like uh it's kind of owed to him <laughs> after the last couple seasons um so yeah i think uh i again have gone away from what your question was okay. but i well, so, think so then yeah. <laughs> what is the conversation like then among Raptors fans about the future of this team as it relates mm -hmm. to that core? Like, do fans see, you know, Scotty, Fred, OG, Pascal as the core? Or do most fans view this as more of a transition period to like the next great Raptors team? I mean, on good days, I think they do. Yeah. <laughs> but the Raptors fans can tend to have like really um, identity crisis sort of days a lot of the time. Again, as I kind of alluded to before, the, the team can sort of put you through it in that way. Yeah. But yeah, I think like best case scenario, you're looking at the core that this like future next gen team looks like. You know, there was a lot, uh, I think, of soul searching and conflict around like, did the team need a traditional center again? Because that was that that role was someone who was so integral when it was Kyle DeMar, then when it was just Kyle Lowry, mm -hmm. Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard. And now I think they've moved past that. I think there have been growing pains, absolutely. But the 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 like heft of responsibility that's been put on Pascal Siakam and I think Fred Van Vliet, to a degree, OG Ananobi, but unfortunately he hasn't been as healthy as he should be again this season. Um, that to me is like, these guys came up out, like under Kyle Lowry. They're as like, close as you want to, to like keep that blueprint, but then you got to look at guys like Scotty Barnes. I think Gary Trent uh, Jr. fits super well into that. I mean, even like the recent additions of like Kim Birch, um, like these are, it, and I don't know what's going to happen with the bench. I think that's probably the only area where you want to really toggle because if you talk about depth, that's something that's really been lacking with the Raptors this season. Um, but in my mind, like they've arrived at a core, I think, a lot faster than the team thought. Mm -hmm. Like this was supposed to be a developmental year. It still definitely is, but it's turned into more of a developmental year again for like Scotty Barnes and to kind of flesh out what the bench can look like. But in terms of your core guys, I think you're right. It is it is those five. Okay. So looking ahead to the playoffs, let's say the Raptors end up in the sixth spot. You're safe from the play-in. You don't have to look at Kevin Durant or the Nets anymore. Uh, is there a team that the Raptors fan base feels confident that they could beat between Boston, Milwaukee, Philly? Is there any of those teams that you're like, I'd rather play Team X? Mm. You know, I think like the prospect of a series with any one of those teams is sits a lot more comfortably with Raptors fans than like a one-off, not just against the Nets, but honestly like a one-off 
against any team. The Raptors are not hmm. so good <laughs> at like scheming out their like yeah. their opponent in one game, right? Like the mm-hmm. the coaching staff is really good at adapting and and kind of throwing out weird things uh depending on who they get in a series. I think they have some good experience now that like, you know, a series, a playoff series is long and it can be really grueling and you can't come out like, you know, night after night with the same thing, but of those 3, honestly, I might take the Sixers. Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you like I, that I, one. <laughs> I agree. Just the, I mean, just like purely on vibes alone. Yeah. I think that you would take the six. I think it's just, you know, I I am a skeptic uh, of the James Harden experience kind of wherever he goes. I think, yeah. you know, it's let it's it's yet to be shown that there's really staying power in any of those sort of exper- experiments or I mean, I don't even know what the staying power for J- what James Harden wants actually is. Um they they play re- like they're definitely at force, but I think when you look at a series, there's the way that James Harden can kind of waffle I think Joel Embiid can still, you know, crumble a little bit to to pressure. The Raptors have a better shot in almost like psychological <laughs> psychological warfare, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> against the Sixers. Um, then I think the Bucks, who are like pretty stalwart and like head down, like you know, grinders. Um, oh, and who is? Oh my God, who is oh, the Boston other team? Celtics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so just real quick, last question. What's going on with Precious Achua? Because <laughs> 42% true shooting in his first 20 games. Post-All-Star break, he's now up to 55%. He's hitting 40% of his threes. Was mm-hmm. this turnaround as surprising to Raptors fans as it was for the rest of us who don't necessarily watch every single Raptors game? Or did you see this um, coming? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, a seer, but I kind of saw it coming. I won't speak for, again for Raptors fans, who I think we're pretty ready to like eject Precious Achua <laughs> right. uh, in the middle yeah. of the season. I mean, to me, with Precious, it seemed pretty straightforward. You know, like he came from the Heat. He wasn't really getting many minutes. He certainly wasn't being asked to play, you know, as expansive of a role as he had with the Raptors. I mean, he, he kind of alluded to it. I remember in some um, pressers uh, and availabilities early on this season, you know, he said he was talking a lot to to Kim Birch just in terms of asking, like, what should I work on in my fundamentals when he did look a little bit lost, you know? Mm -hmm. And he said Kim had mentioned just like, just focus on one thing at a time, because I really don't think we talk about it enough. But when you're when we're talking about this, like modern NBA player conversation, especially for guys who it's like, maybe they would have just been a traditional big once upon a time. Mm -hmm. But now... They got to stretch. They got to do a little bit of everything. And like, that's not just pinning down one thing. That's like asking someone who is in his second year of his career, you know, to like sharpen and hone just like a real wide skill set and and understand like when to deploy things, you know, and like when's yeah. the best moment for that. And I think that's what Precious Ajua had a lot of trouble with, you know, like taking the bad shot instead of letting the, like giving the ball up so someone else could take the better one. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a hard time, I think, figuring out his timing. Uh, his like passing wasn't so hot, you know, uh, and just he didn't. Uh, he just, yeah, his, his. I'd say overall, like his timing was was pretty bad. But it just seems like something has clicked now, and I think that's just again, like you go through your growing pains. You have a couple embarrassing moments in a season, and that stuff's gonna stick with stick with players more, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, like 
we all understand what it's like to be just like embarrassed in real time and never want to experience <laughs> something like that again. So I sort of, I, I look at it pretty straightforward like that in terms of that, of where his growth has come from. And also now the stability of the roster, right? Like he didn't really have that before um, when guys were getting hurt and he was getting asked to to fit in um, some places that like really weren't really like, um, weren't where his strong, his strong suits are as a player. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's helped to have like for him to have more vets around him now. I think he understands more of like what the ask is uh, of him this season. But I like he seemed to me a very complete like at summer league. I remember like he seemed to me one of the most complete players on the incoming roster, you know, of like pretty young and green guys. And I think, uh, yeah, he had some growing pains again, but it looks just like this was this was sort of where he was always headed. So I hope he continues to to develop and doesn't prove me wrong. Well, Katie, thank you so much for answering our questions, but it's now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly trivia <laughs> show where Andrew goes head-to-head with a beat writer. This week, oh. our guest, Katie Heindel. Katie, how this works, I've come up with eight questions that are related to the Raptors. Uh, some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight that will correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and okay. forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So you just have to start me off with a number between one and eight. Mm, Five. Question number five. When Kyle Lowry left for Miami, the Raptors didn't just lose a beloved franchise icon. They also lost a man who loves to take charges. Lowry had 20-plus drawn charges in each of the last four seasons. Now, the Raptors' leader in drawn charges only has 12 embarrassing and disrespectful to Lowry's memory. <laughs> Katie, who leads the Raps in charges drawn this season? Just because I'm feeling uh, like about his propensity to just get knocked around around the basket, mm-hmm. I'm going to say Chris Boucher. Katie, that is absolutely correct for two points. All right. <laughs> and you're on wow. the board. <laughs> All right, Andrew, uh, the board is yours. Number one. Question number one. Scotty Barnes currently leads the Raptors in total minutes played. How many rookies, other than Barnes, lead their team in minutes? Now, you don't have to name them. You just have to give me a number. Two. (laughs) Two rookies. Andrew, that is incorrect. Katie, you have a chance to steal. How many rookies, other than Scotty Barnes, lead their team in total minutes played? I'll go three. (laughs) Katie. That is absolutely correct for another point. Oh, no. <laughs> the three names, Evan Mobley, Franz Wagner. Those are yeah. two, two you're probably thinking of, Andrew. The last one? Yeah. Herb Jones for the Pelicans. I thought of, I was actually thinking of Herb. Herb. I know clearly you I weren't. I... Okay, Katie. I wasn't thinking of Herb, but that's great for me. <laughs> Thanks, Herb. Katie, you're up 3-0 <laughs> already, and the board is yours. I'll go three. Question number three. Fred Van Vliet is currently averaging 10 three-point attempts per game, something that has only been done 12 times in NBA history. There are five other players who have averaged 10-plus threes per game in a season. How many can you name? Now, you're going to get a point per name, which means you have the potential to get five points here if you somehow named all five. But you could also get uh, two points, three points. 
So you're just naming players who have averaged 10 plus threes per game in a single season. Okay. Steph Curry. That is correct. Uh, Clay Thompson. That is incorrect. What? Andrew, oh, no. you have a chance to make up a lot of points here if you can <laughs> yeah, name you it, really Andrew. do. <laughs> uh, James Harden. That is correct for one point. Did Paul George do it? Oh, Paul George. Paul George. No, he didn't do it, Andrew. <laughs> the other names. Damian Lillard. That was I, I would say that's the only other easy, easy one. Donovan Mitchell yeah, has done obvious. it. And Buddy Heald. Okay. Buddy Heald. Yeah. Dang it. Okay, Andrew, you got a point though. Okay. So you've maintained your All deficit right. of three, and the board is yours. Number two. Question number two. The Raptors currently have five different players averaging at least fifteen points per game. There is only one other team in the league that can say that. Which team is it? Oh my. Okay. So who's, who hmm. spreads it out? Who spreads the ball out to a lot of different guys, all scoring at least 15 points per game? Oh, man. The Spurs? San Antonio Spurs. That is incorrect. Katie, you have a chance to steal for Ugh. one point. Is it the Celtics? It is not the Celtics. Damn. I would have been very impressed if either of you had gotten this. It's the Charlotte Hornets. That was actually going to... Oh, really? Oh. I had that in my gut, and I was like, no. Always got to go to your gut. Okay, Katie, you're still ahead. Four to one, and the board is yours. Ouch. I'll go four. Question number four. Last Friday night, Scotty Barnes scored a career-high 31 points against the Lakers, making him only the eighth rookie in Raptors franchise history to score 30-plus in a game, we're going to try to name the other seven. How this works, Katie, you'll give me a name. Then Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So you just have to give me a name of a Raptors rookie who scored 30-plus in a game. In their rookie season? Yes. Okay. DeMar DeRozan? DeMar DeRozan did not! Score oh, 30 no. in a game. Andrew, this <laughs> means that you could steal the point. All you have to do is name one Raptors rookie who scored 30-plus in a game. Don't screw it up, Andrew. Chris Bosh. Oh, my gosh. No, it's not. Andrew. Seriously? Yeah, it was not at all. Wow. So uh, you guys didn't get any of those names. I will now read them <laughs> to you. Really? I don't know. Chris Look Bosch, it up, Andrew. You have basketball reference. Here, let's go. Chris Bosh. I'll look it up for you. Uh. I mean, I believe you. That's just do weird. You know, I thought you would get the guy who scored the most points. Because do you, do you know Vince Carter? You know, uh, no, but that that is one of the names. No, Charlie Villanueva. He scored. Hmm. He scored like forty-eight oh, yeah. or some ridiculous amount. Yeah, Chris Bosh. Yeah, his yeah. Uh, high-scoring game is rookie season twenty-five. Uh, the other names: Marcus Camby, Terrence Davis, someone you said earlier, Andrew Jalen Harris. A weirdo hmm. game: Norman Powell and Damon Stoudemire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Any of those names uh, feel like you should have gotten them? Should have gotten Powell. Should have gotten Stoudemire to BH. Yeah. VC. Understandable yeah. why uh. you all went with DeRozan and Bosch, though. Um, okay, Andrew, you can still make up this deficit. The board is yours. So Six, seven, and eight left. Let's go number eight. Question number eight. The Raptors have landed the number one overall pick once in their history. That player... Andre Bargnani. What is Barg's mm-hmm. career high in points? Now, Andrew, this is one of the questions where you get to choose who answers first. So either you can guess first, and then Katie will say higher or lower, or you can make Katie guess first, and then you say higher or lower. 
but Katie might know the exact uh. number, so it's a risk. I'll let Katie go first. Okay, so Katie, what is Andrea Bargnani's career high in points? With the Raptors. Um, I will say in it was career. with the Raptors, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, interestingly, it was against the New York Knicks, who we had eventually. Uh, oh. Yeah. A little hint there. Not really, but. Yeah, not really. <laughs> a little hint there. <laughs> um... 34? 34 points. Okay, Andrew, are you going higher or lower than 34 points? Gosh, that's a great number. (laughs) Um, I'll go higher. Andrew? That is correct. Barg scored 41 points. That means you get two points. 41. Jeez. And that means, Andrew, you are now only one point behind with two questions left. Katie, the board is yours. Question six or question seven? I'm going to blow it. Um, Seven. I'm so glad (laughs) you answered number seven. When the Raptors mascot tore his Achilles tendon prior to the start of the 2013-14 season, he was temporarily replaced by his cousin named... Stripes. Wow. Stripes. (laughs) Didn't even have to say my fake names. Wow. Because I did... Oh, say your fake names, Because I did spend a lot of time coming up with these fake names. I'm sorry. Now, Andrew, Andrew, did you hear that? Did you hear the answer? Uh, no. Oh, yes, I heard the answer. I, okay. didn't, well, I didn't hear the question. But okay, well, tell answer. me which of these would have fooled you the most, so I feel good. Okay, okay. all right. So, Stripes, right. Steggy, Spike, Scraptor, or Sinclair? <laughs> which of those oh, gosh. would have been the trick? Probably Steggy. Mm, I think steggy. I would have gone with Steggy. Scraptor was pretty yeah. cool. Scraptor was good. And yeah. I think Sinclair, yeah, that's, that's, I think I got Sinclair from a, a, a dinosaur movie. Gas station? No. Gas station? Gas station. No. Oh, <laughs> actually, that's station? true. That is the dinosaur gas yeah, station. Okay. It is. Uh, yep. anywho, it probably would sure have been is. Spike, though, if, if you know, like realistically from that list, well, given Stripes. Why is it Stripes? Because I don't know. Because he had Stripes. But you, but, he, it. <laughs> but what I've never seen a dinosaur with stripes. What is that referring to? Is he not a dinosaur? It's it was a dinosaur. It was a, it dinosaur. Was a raptor who had a stripes. Red raptor who had a. Like, what do you What do you mean you've never seen a dinosaur with stripes? You've I seen mean, it. what? You seen what Jurassic this? Park? They have stripes. Dinosaurs have stripes. I feel like they've got. It's not like a tiger. It's like not like a zebra or tiger stripe, but it's like this kind of stripe marking down their like dorsal. Hmm. Interesting. Area. I would say that's a deep cut. I would have gone with Spike or Steggy. Um, but yeah, Stripes I, is the current <laughs> mascot of Raptors 905. That is true. That is correct. And it's his yeah. cousin, which oh. is cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is cool. I mean, it seems it, it may be nepotism on the one hand, yeah. but on the other hand, it's Could cool be. to have a family member so close by doing the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Stripes was weirdly uh-huh. hated, I will say. Really? I didn't hate Stripes, but oh. there was a lot of animosity that and they in all like the the bits and like the gags they would have Stripes do, it was always very demeaning to Stripes. Whereas <laughs> the Raptors are like very proud skits and is always like being demeaning to someone else. But wow. Stripes got the real short end of the stick. You wonder if the Raptor was the one behind all of those skits, like making his cousin look bad. Maybe, so that he wouldn't steal like, his job. Don't take my job. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, yeah. Andrew, uh, you have no chance to win. <laughs> However, you can get within one point with this final question. Here we go. Ready? All right. There have been 25 right. two-man lineups that have played at least 500 minutes together this season for the Raptors. 
This Raptor okay. appears in the top four of those two-man lineups ranked by net rating. Gary Trent Gary Jr.? Gary Trent Jr. Andrew, that is incorrect. <laughs> Katie, you have a chance to steal just to add on, beat Andrew even worse. That was so mean. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> any guesses? Ask uh, Scotty Barnes. Also incorrect. The correct answer was the answer for another question. It's Chris Boucher. Would you believe? So our final score, Katie, you won six to three, defeating Andrew on this episode of Andrew versus the Beat. Congratulations. Thank you. I was starting to sweat, so (laughs) glad I've come out on top. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go listen to Dishes and Dimes and go check out basketballfeelings.com. Thanks, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) All right, Andrew, it is time to spin the wheel for next week. We've had America's team. We've had Canada's team. Who will we have this week? We have 20 teams, 19 teams remaining. A lot of great teams. If we got Portland this week, uh, I'm going to the Portland Thunder game on Monday. <laughs> Waiting for tickets to get below 20 in the lower bowl. Feeling good about it. <laughs> we'll see. I almost bought some tickets for three bucks, but I'm 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 holding out, I'm holding out for better. Uh, okay, let's spin the wheel. See what we get. Our team next week for the Wheel of Fandom will be. The Los Angeles Lakers, one tick away from being the Blazers. Oh, wow. Get to watch some Lakers. I guess if we're going to get the Lakers, this is going to be the time. If we're going to get the Lakers, this is it. I mean, yes, because they they still have something to play for right now, right? That is true. They are only a game and a half up. On the uh, sorry, two games up on the Spurs as of Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, this week, let's see yeah. who they're playing at New Orleans on Sunday. At that's a big one. That's a big one. That's for that's for home court advantage in the play in. At Dallas on Tuesday, TNT, and then yeah. Thursday at Utah, TNT. Woo! That's a pretty good stretch. That's that is a tough. And then next and then that next Friday they play New Orleans again. And then they go Denver, wow. Phoenix, Golden State. This looks bad. Yikes. And then they play OKC. This looks real bad. This is why it's possible. Like, they, they really have something to play for over this last stretch. They really do. Because if you look at the because if you look at the Spurs, who, who are chasing them, who we don't know if they want this yeah. or not, but they also play New Orleans this weekend. And then they still have two games yeah. left against Portland. So it could get spicy here. <laughs> this could get real. This could get real. Uh, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Do that. We'll read it on the show. Just like this one from Ars Agonian, who says, How much do I love Slam and Jam? So much that I'm now listening to every episode of the OKC Down to Dunk pod oh, as no. well. Never been to Oklahoma City. I probably couldn't even find it on a map, but Andrew and Alex are so captivating that I'm literally counting the days until the lottery. Great show from Andrew in Portland. Thank you so much for that. Hey, yeah, you can listen to our show. It's called Down to Dunk. It's a local Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, too, if you enjoy our show. Uh, Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend and the basketball, and we will talk to you guys again next week.